Section 12 of Letters of Mrs. Adams, Volume 1, by Charles Francis Adams. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Sue Anderson. Section 12, The Letters, 1776-1777. Plymouth, 17 June, 1776. A remarkable day. To John Adams. I this day received by the hands of our worthy friend a large packet which has refreshed and comforted me. Your own sensations have ever been similar to mine. I need not, then, tell you how gratified I am at the frequent tokens of remembrance with which you favor me, nor how they rouse every tender sensation of my soul, which sometimes will find vent at my eyes nor dare I describe how earnestly I long to fold to my fluttering heart the object of my warmest affections. The idea soothes me. I feast upon it with a pleasure known only to those whose hearts and hopes are one. The approbation you give to my conduct in the management of our private affairs is very grateful to me, and sufficiently compensates for all my anxieties and endeavors to discharge the many duties devolved upon me in consequence of the absence of my dearest friend. Were they discharged according to my wishes, I should merit the praises you bestow. You see, I date from Plymouth. I came upon a visit to our amiable friends, accompanied by my sister Betsy a day or two ago. It is the first night I have been absent since you left me. Having determined upon this visit for some time, I put my family in order and prepared for it, thinking I might leave it with safety. Yet the day I set out I was under many apprehensions by the coming in of ten transports who were seen to have many soldiers on board, and the determination of the people to go and fortify upon Long Island, Pettick's Island, Nantasket, and Great Hill. It was apprehended they would attempt to land somewhere but the next morning I had the pleasure to hear they were all driven out, Commodore and all, not a transport, a ship, or a tender to be seen. This shows what might have been long ago done. Had this been done in season, the ten transports, with many others, in all probability would have fallen into our hands, but the progress of wisdom is slow." Since I arrived here, I have really had a scene quite novel to me. The brig Defense from Connecticut put in here for ballast. The officers, who are all from thence, and who are intimately acquainted at Dr. Lothrop's, invited his lady to come on board and bring with her as many of her friends as she could collect. She sent an invitation to our friend, Mrs. Warren, and to us. The brig lay about a mile and a half from town. The officers sent their barge, and we went. Every mark of respect and attention which was in their power they showed us. She is a fine brig, mounts sixteen guns, twelve swivels, and carries one hundred and twenty men. A hundred and seventeen were on board, and no private family ever appeared under better regulation than the crew. It was as still as though there had been only half a dozen, not a profane word among any of them. The captain himself is an exemplary man, 
Hardin, his name, has been in nine sea engagements, says if he gets a man who swears and finds he cannot reform him, he turns him on shore, yet is free to confess that it was the sin of his youth. He has one lieutenant, a very fine fellow, Smeldon by name. We spent a very agreeable afternoon and drank tea on board. They showed us their arms, which were sent by Queen Anne, and everything on board was a curiosity to me. They gave us a mock engagement with an enemy and the manner of taking a ship. The young folks went upon the quarter-deck and danced. Some of their jacks played very well upon the violin and German flute. The brig bears the continental colors and was fitted out by the colony of Connecticut. As we set off from the brig, they fired their guns in honor to us, a ceremony I would very readily have dispensed with. I pity you and feel for you under all the difficulties you have to encounter. My daily petitions to heaven for you are that you may have health, wisdom, and fortitude sufficient to carry you through the great and arduous business in which you are engaged, and that your endeavors may be crowned with success. Canada seems a dangerous and ill-fated place. It is reported here that General Thompson is no more, that he took the smallpox and died with it. Every day some circumstance arises which shows me the importance of having the distemper in youth. Dr. Bullfinch has petitioned the general court for leave to open a hospital somewhere, and it will be granted him. I shall, with all the children, be one of the first class. You may depend upon it. I have just this moment heard that the brig, which I was on board of on Saturday, and which sailed yesterday morning from this place, fell in with two transports, having each of them a hundred and fifty men on board, and took them, and has brought them into Nantasket Roads, under cover of the guns which are mounted there. I will add further particulars as soon as I am informed. I am now better informed, and will give you the truth. The Brig Defense, accompanied by a small privateer, sailed in concert Sunday morning. About twelve o'clock they discovered two transports and made for them. Two privateers, which were small, had been in chase of them, but finding the enemy was of much larger force, had run under Cohasset rocks. The defense gave a signal gun to bring them out. Captain Burke, who accompanied the defense, being a prime sailor, he came up first and poured a broadside on board a sixteen-gun brig. The defense soon attacked her upon her bows. An obstinate engagement ensued. There was a continual blaze upon all sides for many hours, and it was near midnight before they struck. In the engagement, the defense lost one man and five wounded. With Burke, not one man received any damage. On board the enemy, fourteen killed, among whom was a major, and sixty wounded. They are part of the Highland soldiers. The other transport mounted six guns. When the fleet sailed out of this harbor last week, they blew up the lighthouse. They met six transports coming in, which they carried off with them. I hope we shall soon be in such a posture of defense 
as to bid them defiance. I feel no great anxiety at the large armament designed against us. The remarkable interpositions of heaven in our favor cannot be too gratefully acknowledged. He who fed the Israelites in the wilderness, who clothes the lilies of the field, and feeds the young ravens when they cry, will not forsake a people engaged in so righteous a cause, if we remember his loving kindness. We wanted powder, we have a supply. We wanted arms, we have been favored in that respect. We wanted hard money, $22,000, and an equal value in plate are delivered into our hands. You mention your peas, your cherries, and your strawberries, etc. Ours are but just in blossom. We have had the coldest spring I ever knew. Things are three weeks behind what they generally used to be. The corn looks poor. The season now is rather dry. I believe I did not understand you when in a former letter you said, I want to resign my office for a thousand reasons. If you mean that of judge, I know not what to say. I know it will be a difficult and arduous station, but divesting myself of private interest, which would lead me to be against your holding that office, I know of no person who is so well calculated to discharge the trust, or who I think would act a more conscientious part. 29 September, 1776, to John Adams. Not since the 5th of September have I had one line from you, which makes me very uneasy. Are you all this time conferring with his lordship? Note Lord Howe. Is there no communication? Or are the post-riders all dismissed? Let the cause be what it will, not hearing from you has given me much uneasiness. We seem to be kept in total ignorance of affairs at York. I hope you at Congress are more enlightened. Who fell, who are wounded, who prisoners or their number, is as undetermined as it was the day after the battle. Note on Long Island. If our army is in ever so critical a state, I wish to know it, and the worst of it. If all America is to be ruined and undone by a pack of cowards and knaves, I wish to know it. Pitiable is the lot of their commander. Caesar's Tenth Legion never was forgiven. We are told for truth that a regiment of Yorkers refused to quit the city, and that another regiment behaved like a pack of cowardly villains by quitting their posts. If they are unjustly censured, it is for want of proper intelligence. I am sorry to see a spirit so venal prevailing everywhere. When our men were drawn out for Canada, a very large bounty was given them, and now another call is made upon us. No one will go without a large bounty, though only for two months, and each town seems to think its honor engaged in outbidding the others. The province pay is 40 shillings. In addition to that, this town voted to make it up six pounds. They then drew out the persons most unlikely to go, and they are obliged to give three pounds to hire a man. 
some pay the whole fine ten pounds forty men are now drafted from this town more than one half from sixteen to fifty are now in the service this method of conducting will create a general uneasiness in the continental army i hardly think you can be sensible how much we are thinned in this province the rage for privateering is as great here as anywhere vast numbers are employed in that way if it is necessary to make any more drafts upon us the women must reap the harvests i am willing to do my part i believe i could gather corn and husk it but i should make a poor figure at digging potatoes there has been a report that a fleet was seen in our bay yesterday i cannot conceive from whence nor do i believe the story tis said you have been upon staten island to hold your conference tis a little odd that i have never received the least intimation of it from you did you think i should be alarmed don't you know me better than to think me a coward i hope you will write me everything concerning this affair i have a great curiosity to know the result as to government nothing is yet done about it the church is opened here every sunday and the king prayed for as usual in open defiance of congress if the next post does not bring me a letter i think i will leave off writing for i shall not believe you get mine adieu yours p s master john has become post-writer from boston to braintree thirty july seventeen seventy seven to john adams i dare say before this time you have interpreted the northern storm note the evacuation of ticonderoga and mount independence by general st clair if the presages chilled your blood how must you be frozen and stiffened at the disgrace brought upon our arms unless some warmer passion seize you and anger and resentment fire your breast how are all our vast magazines of cannon powder arms clothing provision medicine etc to be restored to us but what is vastly more how shall the disgrace be wiped away how shall our lost honor be retrieved the reports with regard to that fortress are very vague and uncertain some write from thence that there was not force sufficient to defend it others say it might have stood a long siege some there are who ought to know why and wherefore we have given away a place of such importance that the inquiry will be made i make no doubt and if cowardice guilt deceit are found upon any one howsoever high or exalted his station may shame reproach infamy hatred and the execrations of the public be his portion i would not be so narrow-minded as to suppose that there are not many men of all nations possessed of honor virtue and integrity yet it is to be lamented that we have not men among ourselves sufficiently qualified for war to take upon them the most important command it was customary among the carthaginians to have a military school in which the flower of their nobility and those whose talents and ambition prompted them to aspire to the first dignities learned the art of war 
From among these they selected all their general officers, for though they employed mercenary soldiers, they were too jealous and suspicious to employ foreign generals. Will a foreigner, whose interest is not naturally connected with ours, any otherwise than as the cause of liberty is the cause of all mankind, will he act with the same zeal, or expose himself to equal dangers with the same resolution, for a republic of which he is not a member, as he would have done for his own native country? And can the people repose an equal confidence in them, even supposing them men of integrity and abilities, and that they meet with success equal to their abilities? How much envy and malice are employed against them, and how galling to pride, how mortifying to human nature, to see itself excelled. 31 July. I have nothing new to entertain you with, unless it is an account of a new set of mobility which has lately taken the lead in Boston. You must know that there is a great scarcity of sugar and coffee, articles which the female part of the state is very loath to give up, especially whilst they consider the scarcity occasioned by the merchants having secreted a large quantity. There had been much rout and noise in the town for several weeks. Some stores had been opened by a number of people, and the coffee and sugar carried into the market and dealt out by pounds. It was rumored that an eminent, wealthy, stingy merchant, who is a bachelor, had a hog's head of coffee in his store, which he refused to sell to the committee under six shillings per pound. A number of females, some say a hundred, some say more, assembled with a cart and trucks, marched down to the warehouse, and demanded the keys, which he refused to deliver. Upon which one of them seized him by his neck, and tossed him into the cart. Upon his finding no quarter he delivered the keys, when they tipped up the cart and discharged him, then opened the warehouse, hoisted out the coffee themselves, put it into the truck, and drove off. It was reported that he had personal chastisement among them, but this, I believe, was not true. A large concourse of men stood amazed, silent spectators of the whole transaction. Adieu. Your good mother is just come. She desires to be remembered to you. So do my father and sister, who have just left me, and so does she, whose greatest happiness consists in being tenderly beloved by her absent friend, and who subscribes herself ever his Portia. 5 August, 1777, to John Adams. If alarming half a dozen places at the same time is an act of generalship, Howe may boast of his late conduct. We have never, since the evacuation of Boston, been under apprehensions of an invasion from them equal to what we suffered last week. All Boston was in confusion, packing up and carting out of town household furniture, military stores, goods, etc. Not less than a thousand teams were employed on Friday and Saturday, and, to their shame be it told, not a small trunk would they carry under eight dollars, and many of them, I am told, asked a hundred dollars a load, 
for carting a hogshead of molasses eight miles, thirty dollars. Oh, human nature, or rather, oh, inhuman nature, what art thou? The report of the fleets being seen off Cape Ann Friday night gave me the alarm, and, though pretty weak, I set about packing up my things, and on Saturday moved a load. When I looked around me, and beheld the bounties of heaven so liberally bestowed, in fine fields of corn, grass, flax, and English grain, and thought it might soon become a prey to these merciless ravagers, our habitations laid waste, and if our flight preserved our lives, we must return to barren fields, empty barns, and desolate habitations, if any we find, perhaps not where to lay our heads. My heart was too full to bear the weight of affliction which I thought just ready to overtake us, and my body too weak almost to bear the shock, unsupported by my better half. But, thanks be to heaven, we are at present relieved from our fears respecting ourselves. I now feel anxious for your safety, but hope prudence will direct to a proper care and attention to yourselves. May this second attempt of Howe's prove his utter ruin. May destruction overtake him as a whirlwind. We have a report of an engagement at the northward, in which our troops behaved well, drove the enemy into their lines, killed and took three hundred and fifty prisoners. The account came in last night. I have not particulars. We are under apprehensions that the Hancock is taken. Your obliging letters of the 8th, 10th, and 13th came to hand last week. I hope before this time you are relieved from the anxiety you express for your bosom friend. I feel my sufferings amply rewarded in the tenderness you express for me. But in one of your letters you have drawn a picture which drew a flood of tears from my eyes and wrung my heart with anguish inexpressible. I pray heaven I may not live to realize it. It is almost thirteen years since we were united, but not more than half that time have we had the happiness of living together. The unfeeling world may consider it in what light they please. I consider it as a sacrifice to my country and one of my greatest misfortunes. To be separated from my children at a time of life when the joint instructions and admonition of parents sink deeper than in maturer years. The hope of the smiles and approbation of my friend sweetens all my toils and labors. Ye powers, whom men and birds obey, great rulers of your creatures, say why morning comes by bliss conveyed, and even the sweets of love allayed. Where grows enjoyment tall and fair, around it twines entangling care, while fear for what our sons possess enervates every power to bless. Yet friendship forms the bliss above, and life, what art thou without love? 17 September, 1777 To John Adams I have to acknowledge a feast of letters from you since I wrote last. Their dates from August 19th to September 1st. It is a very great satisfaction to me to know from day to day the movement of Howe and his banditti. 
we live in hourly expectation of important intelligence from both armies heaven grant us victory and peace two blessings i fear we are very undeserving of enclosed you will find a letter to mr lovell note james lovell a delegate from massachusetts to the general congress who was so obliging as to send me a plan of that part of the country which is like to be the present seat of war he accompanied it with a very polite letter and i esteem myself much obliged to him but there is no reward this side the grave that would be a temptation to me to undergo the agitation and distress i was thrown into by receiving a letter in his handwriting franked by him it seems almost impossible that the human mind could take in in so small a space of time so many ideas as rushed upon mine in the space of a moment i cannot describe to you what i felt the sickness or death of the dearest of friends with ten thousand horrors seized my imagination i took up the letter then laid it down then gave it out of my hand unable to open it then collected resolution enough to unseal it but dared not read it began at the bottom read a line then attempted to begin it but could not a paper was enclosed i ventured upon that and finding it a plan recovered enough to read the letter but i pray heaven i may never realize such another moment of distress i designed to have written you a long letter for really i owe you one but have been prevented by our worthy plymouth friends who are here upon a visit in their way home and it is now so late at night just struck twelve that i will defer anything further till the next post good night friend of my heart companion of my youth husband and lover angels watch thy repose end of section twelve